Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Henry Bell, and I've been involved in the global cardiac device industry for just under 10 years. In this episode of CM Conversations, I talk to Luis Fonseca, a healthcare executive with expertise in emerging markets such as Latin America in cardiology. Throughout his career, he's worked for some very impressive companies such as Medtronic, Abbott Vascular and Cryolife. In my discussion with Luis, we talk about cardiology in the emerging markets, discussing how to expand into Latin America, the opportunities to go direct or indirect, and how to launch new devices and therapies across the region. In this podcast, Luis shows his in-depth knowledge of the region, discussing the future of cardiology in Latin America. Whether you're from a commercial, technical, or medical background, I think there's something valuable here for you to take away. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Louis. How are you doing? Hi, Harry. How are you doing? Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Yeah, so welcome to CM Medical Podcast. As today, we'll be talking about cardiology in the emerging markets, and um, you know, great to have you here. Do you want to give a little bit of a brief overview of your experience and, and your career? Oh, sure. So I have been uh, in the healthcare markets, mostly focused in Latin America for the last... 16 years and as such I have been involved with the biggest players Johnson Johnson, Abbott, Medtronic and most of the time involved in bringing new therapies to this very interesting market right so things like drug elutin stents, transcatheter valves, uh, some also the neurovascular new technologies like flow diverters but mostly related to the circulatory system for the last 16 years bringing new technology and new options for patients in Latin America with all the interesting challenges that I entail. Absolutely. So continuing on that, can you give us an overview of the kind of the, the old health economic markets of Latin America? Um, you know, it's, it's a fragmented market with uh, many small players across all, all the countries and kind of the, you know, who do you kind of see as the key countries as well? And, and then how can we support the other countries in Latin America as well? Well, perfect. So again, we are as a market, right? So if you take from considering from Mexico all the way down to the south of of Argentina and Chile, we are about 623 million people, right? Which on itself constitutes a market population wise, which is the double of the size of the US. But as you said, very fragmented, we are 43 countries. And because of that, all of those countries with different regulatory systems, with some reimbursement systems. But I think that a couple of commonalities across the board, which makes it very interesting, is that most of the countries, if not all, have a very well-established healthcare system in place, right? Not all of them perfectly funded, and most of them divided clearly between the private sector, which normally serves a smaller part of the population, but serve them very well, you would see that a much higher per capita expenditure in healthcare. And then on the other side, you would see the government, the public healthcare sector, which normally serves a bigger portion of the population. But the good news here is we're seeing increasing expenditures. And now, thanks to COVID, people are paying a lot more attention to healthcare. So it has certainly become a much more central topic for governments and we see budgets growing and we see an important improvement in the public healthcare sector. So that gives 
to the 623 million, a lot of possibilities of having access to the latest treatments, especially in the cardiovascular area, because that also has been a fantastic area of development, right? As, as we normally talk about that, ischemic heart disease and all the associated diseases with the circulatory system have grown tremendously in the latest years, and that has caught the government attention. So basically said, I would read, the summary for me would be, it's 623 million market that it's very attractive, even though fragmented. And we also have within the 43 markets, the big six, as we call them, which are Brazil with 220 million people, a very important market in that, Mexico with another 110 million, and then Colombia, Argentina, Chile, and then Peru is also rising as a shining star in terms of healthcare because the government is starting to spend more money on healthcare. So those big six, they have around 450 million people within their borders. So you can see that out of the 623, within those six, you have the biggest portion of the population. And my suggestion always is start focusing on the big six and then you go to the other ones. See, you know, I am doing some research prior to this and I saw that you know, the big six actually have a course with the hospitals in the world in them so that the, the opportunity is there. So it's, um, you know, then focusing on the hospitals and technology adoption. Yes. So from your experience, you know, it's what, what's the process from going to launching a new, you know, new device or cardiac, cardiac device in, in the area? Well, it's, it's, it's a great question. The, the, first, the first challenge, as usual, is the regulatory pathway, right? Because, again, even within the big six that we mentioned, Chile, for example, the regulatory pathway is about 48 hours. If you have FDA and CE mark, now MDR, within 48 hours, you can start selling your product into the country, which is a fantastic thing. On the other extreme of the spectrum, you have countries like Argentina and Brazil, where you can easily take close to a year between submission and approval to sell into the country. So I, the first suggestion that I always make is take that into consideration and plan accordingly as you will introduce the products market by market. Having the regulatory path behind you, I think that the important thing is find the centers of excellence, right? So you have of them both in the private sector and on the public sector. So find those centers of excellence, get in touch with the KOLs that, that work in that center of excellence, identify your champions, right? So I think that that is a fundamental step in bringing any new technology, cardiovascular or not, to the healthcare markets in Latin America. And then give them the proper training, give them the, the right access to the clinical data, and in parallel, I think that there is always the commercial negotiation, right? And then that's where you, you have normally uh, options here in Latin America. The first one is you got to decide, will I go this alone? Will I go on a direct model and establishing my, my operations in, in the country? Or will I partner with somebody? So I think that in, lately there has been a lot of consolidation among distributors and you have in each of those big six countries very solid partners that you can rely on 
and solely not only from a local knowledge perspective, but also from an FCPA and compliance and ethics, which has always been kind of a shadow hovering above Latin America. So I normally bring that topic to the table, especially with multinational companies. Like, yes, I would not deny it. We have been cursed with a lot of that corruption across the system. But having said that, there is a lot of people doing great work. So you could partner with those uh, companies local and go to the market with a distributorship agreement as well. And having those things in place, right? So you find your champions, you have your center of excellence, you either have your team or your partner, then it's the promotion and start bringing the results up because that's the least of it, but now it's growing as well, which is gather the clinical data and also gather the health economics data because the payers in Latin America are becoming very aware of, okay, it's not only the new shiny gadget, but it needs to be cost effective and it needs to help us mm-hmm. deliver better healthcare as well. No, absolutely. That, that's really kind of the, the focus of the geographical expansion across the region. Um, would you kind of say, you know, typically there is, if you were to go direct, go yourself, kind of the, the key market to get started in first and, and then build out? Markets like a market like Brazil, for example, it deserves a, a direct operation, right? I think that. Mm-hmm it's a huge market, it's a complexity, but also the market itself kind of demands that that direct relationship between the physician and the manufacturer or the payer and the manufacturer. So it's almost like a, okay, this is the price that you pay to go into the party in Brazil, to the market in Brazil is you need to establish even if it's just a small infrastructure, you don't need to go huge at the beginning. So there is what we call a hybrid model, which is you, even though you have a presence in Brazil or in Mexico, the biggest countries, you still rely on local partners to do a lot of the logistics and the operational piece and some of the commercial activities as well. So what I normally suggest is you start with a small regional uh, team that can coordinate the activities, especially while we're still in the beginning of the regulatory pathway. So you go into places like Chile or maybe some smaller other places like Panama and Costa Rica. You could do that from a regional basis, working with distributors locally. Obviously, that that involves a lot of traveling and being in the country, even though we don't have a team in the country. And as your regulatory pathway starts to get close to the dates related to the potential approvals in Brazil and Mexico, then start thinking about having your team uh, on the ground in Brazil and then growing from there. Yeah, absolutely. So and what would you say are the things to definitely avoid, the kind of the, the potential pitfalls that you see? I think that the thing that people mostly make mistakes around is assume market pricing and sizes just because you had a launch in Europe or had a launch in the US. So I think that to go on that initiative or that endeavor without doing your proper field research, that is normally a good recipe for a lot of headaches down the road, right? Because what I have seen a lot happening is people make projections without doing the field research properly. So commitments and expectations are built back at at the headquarters. And then when 
when they hit the market, it's like, oh, guess what? It's a little different than what we expected based on just the market research reports that we bought. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you, you got to really spend a little bit of time and resources in getting the sense of what's going on, interview, as I said, interview the physicians, interview the payers as well. That's another thing that has grown yeah. very importantly lately is talk, talk to the people in the hospitals and get a better sense of what you're going to really get yourself into and then do it. No, absolutely. We at CM here, we actually partner with a company called uh, Odell Therapeutics, uh, mainly for Europe, um, but they do market access research, reimbursement research, and you know, just the importance of that is is huge for, for startup companies or people companies wanting to get into the to the region and having somebody who has that network as well to to actually provide them with the information that they need is um, is critical. The markets, even though the other misconception that people normally have about the Latin American markets is that oh they're just simple markets. They they we we don't need to to go into much of a complex thinking to go into markets like Brazil or just a little bit of a I think that a bad mentality. So the, the markets are, are really good, but also complex. So as yeah. you said, you have some hospitals and some systems here that are as complex or as advanced as the best systems that you have in the US or some of the stuff that you have with NHS in the UK. Mm -hmm. So don't 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 play don't downplay Latin America. I think that it's worth the investment. It's a huge and important market. So don't think it's just, oh, I'll just, expression goes, throw my product over the wall and, and let it land there. I think that that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on to kind of cardiology then in more detail, you know, what, what's the state of cardiology in, uh, in Latin America? You know, how does it compare to the, to the markets of US and, uh, and Europe? Oh, great question. So as you know, cardiovascular has always been a big area of interest in Latin America. Mm -hmm. We have some physicians like Dr. Favaloro in Argentina, which is a well-known physician, always dedicated to the latest and pushing the therapy and pushing the practice to edges of innovation. We also had the group in Brazil, Dr. Zerbini doing the first transplant. So that has always been an area of high expertise in the region. And that has not changed a bit in the last 20 years. So I think, I think that certain to say that cardiovascular is probably one of the areas of within medicine that mostly developed in Latin America in the last years. And as a result, you have tremendous centers of excellence. I, I already mentioned um, Favalor in Argentina. You also have uh, Fundacion Cardio Infantil in, in Colombia. You also have um, huge hospitals, H-Core uh, and, and Incore in Brazil. And those hospitals are now dealing with the latest and greatest in technology and also research, right? So things like transcatheter valves or transapical valves, uh, the latest and greatest in aorta, also hybrid procedures, right? And now the latest and to be developed right now is robotics. So, in Latin America, within the cardiovascular space, you will find all the areas of expertise that you see, for example, in, in Mount Sinai or Mayo Clinic or the UK or Leipzig, for example, which is another very important uh, cardiovascular 
center in, in Europe. So I wouldn't say that they have nothing to hold back against those centers. The only thing that I would say is they are more of a isolated thing versus a spread uh, development of cardiovascular, for example, versus the US. But, and the other thing that I think makes a difference between the US and Europe versus Latin America is the adoption of therapies measured by the amount of patients that benefit from it, right? So if you get, for example, the amount of stents, right? Coronary stents that are used per million inhabitants in the US and you compare that to Latin America, we're still a little bit behind. So there's still room to get those therapies to more patients in Latin America, which is related to your comment prior about access and reimbursement. But in terms of having the technologies available, having the centers of excellence, having the technology, uh, we definitely are at par with any of those other countries that you mentioned. Yeah, fantastic. So, you know, what we're seeing around the world in cardiology and, you know, with the the new world that COVID's created is, is this move and, uh, you know, rise in digital or cardiac digital health uh, and home monitoring. Um, obviously, you've got, uh, you know, a great deal of expertise in that. Um, how are you seeing that, that impact across, across Latin America? And- Latin America has been hit by COVID um, in a very important way, right? I think that everybody has, has seen the numbers and has seen the statistics. And I think that there's a lot of lessons learned, as you mentioned, Henry. Okay, so what's going to happen to healthcare after COVID, right? So you mentioned we would try to keep patients away from the hospital the most that we can. So things like remote monitoring or home care, that is growing tremendously in Latin America. It, it was already growing, and, and just an important topic here, Latin America used to be also a very young population, right? We used to be considered a very young population, but now you start seeing the population change. So you have countries, for example, like Argentina and Chile, where they have about 12% of the population are already above 65 years old. So you compare that, for example, with Canada, where 18%. So we're getting, we're not at the levels that you see in Europe, obviously, but you see a very important transition in the profile of the population, which has already led to some improvements in home care and remote services. But now with COVID, that has gone to a very high um, level of interest. And also the other thing that has happened is, has driven the interest in minimally invasive procedures much higher because during COVID and still happens a little bit, the focus were can I do a procedure, a cardiovascular procedure that will not either, will not need an ICU bed or will need an ICU bed for a day at most. So you saw a lot of adoption of minimally invasive therapies like the transcatheter valves and some of the endovascular procedures for both aorta and peripheral. So some of the diseases that you would normally treat with an open surgery, more and more not only so much the physicians, but the payers and the hospitals are the ones now pushing. No, you got to train yourself on this. You got to look at the alternatives. Instead of doing open, let's do minimally invasive. So I think that also COVID has helped the cardiovascular new technologies 
because of the less requirement, the smaller requirement for ICU beds. And I see that sustaining itself after COVID as well. So I think that the, the question about keep the patient away from the hospital the most you can, as well as keep the therapies minimally invasive as much as you can, those two trends have been heightened with COVID and will sustain themselves after COVID is gone, hopefully. Mm -hmm. oh, awesome. So, so do you think that there's a wealth of opportunities for companies to get in into the into the area and, and hit the double digit growth that they've uh, that they've always wanted? Yeah. Well, we we we're expecting the market itself to go into double digit growth, especially in the cardiovascular mm -hmm. uh, space for the next five years. Initially, what we are seeing, right? So the ones that are already in the market will experience a little bit of a huge peak right now because we already see a lot of the procedures that were hold back because of COVID coming back quite quickly. And then after that, I think that the awareness and also this new mentality and the new mindset around payers of focus on cardiovascular will support that double digit growth for at mm -hmm. least another five to seven years easily. Absolutely. And I think what you said as well is really important. The, the change in mindset that COVID has brought has resulted in the, you know, the, the more investment into, into the hospitals. Um, you know, that's obviously going to increase more tech adoption, more specialized hospitals are going to be coming in as well. Um, so I don't know, very, very exciting. So what do you think we can expect you know, for the next five years, you said a double digit growth, but um, you know, what kind of new technology is coming in? What do you think is in the clinical pipeline? There's there's a couple of things that I see coming to, to the region. One is the, the new technologies, the minimally invasive, right? I, I see that, especially related to everything around the circulatory system, right? So from the whole advances in stroke that has been mm -hmm. phenomenal and attracted a lot of players, uh, everything going through the whole aorta, going fully endovascular. I think that that is a technology that definitely is coming. All the valves replacement, everything related to, to the heart, uh, I think it's going to go very much minimally invasive, and that is going to bring a lot of growth. And now I see that people have exploited the arterial system extensively, right? So you saw the coronary stents, you saw everything from the aorta. But now I think that people are now paying a lot of attention as well to the venous system. So you see a lot of, because that's another thing, uh, unfortunately, that I think COVID brought, you saw a lot of thrombogenesis within COVID. You see a lot of patients now having pulmonary embolisms or deep vein thrombosis in a, in a level or an incidence much higher than we had before. And undeniably, I think that that is related to COVID. So I think that now you're going to see a lot of attention also put into the venous system. So it used to be the spider veins, more of an aesthetic thing. But now that I think that from a deep venous thrombosis disease states and the pulmonary embolism, you're going to see a lot on that area as well. So I would highlight those as the technologies that will really have a greedy rate time in Latin America in the next five years. I think that's everything from my side. Have you got anything else that you want to add? Or? Uh, the, last, the last comment that I, I would just uh, put out there for people to, to reflect on is also to see Latin America as a potential research ground, right? We, we saw, for example, now with the potential 
increase or, or latest changes in with MDR in Europe that the demand for clinical data, not only now clinical data is becoming much more relevant for approvals, but as to follow-ups and to post-market approvals. And that has brought a lot of companies to, to doubt, okay, should I continue with this path? It's becoming increasingly complex, but also increasingly uh, expensive to do uh, clinical data. So Latin America, with the centers of excellence that I have already talked about, has historically done a lot of work, first in man, uh, pre-market, post-market, and with the quality of the people we have in the abundance of patients, patients, sorry, that become a very attractive area for some of the established companies, but also the newcoming companies to think about, okay, why don't do my clinical data development, my clinical data production in Latin America, right? So you have just as, as a data point, the first in man studies for most of the transcatheter valves that we have on the market now, we're all done in Latin America. And uh, I still remember the first in man for just J&J Cypher, which was the first drug agglutinist then, were also made in Incor in Brazil. So just as, as the last comment, don't think about Latin America only as a commercial ground, but also an area where you could certainly do your clinical data in a safe and very cost-efficient manner. Absolutely. It's... Uh... It's a fantastic, fantastic region. I, I've spent some time there and absolutely loved it and uh, couldn't recommend it anymore. Well, really appreciate your time, uh, my friend. Thank you very much for, for jumping on here. And um, yeah, we, we'll, we'll connect. We'll connect soon. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Henry Bell, and I've been involved in the global cardiac device industry for just under 10 years. In this episode of CM Conversations, I talked to Luis Fonseca, a healthcare executive with expertise in emerging markets such as Latin America in cardiology. Throughout his career, he's worked for some very impressive companies such as Medtronic, Abbott Vascular and Cryolife. In my discussion with Luis, we talk about cardiology in the emerging markets, discussing how to expand into Latin America, the opportunities to go direct or indirect, and how to launch new devices and therapies across the region. In this podcast, Luis shows his in-depth knowledge of the region, discussing the future of cardiology in Latin America. Whether you're from a commercial, technical, or medical background, I think there's something valuable here for you to take away. I hope you enjoy listening.